0: 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, And in your love for us, see that you excel also in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year... You were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved, while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, He who, who gathered much did not have too much, and he who, who gathered little did not have too little.
1: Thank you, Jenny. Well, keep your Bibles open, and uh, or your devices, uh, however it is. And I wonder when we read a passage like that one, Perhaps some of us, uh, our defences might have gotten up. You know, we think, "Mm, here we go. The church about to go on about money. The nature of the topic that Paul addresses in this chapter, chapter 8, and in chapter 9, is all around finances or giving, generosity. Generosity. And uh, it can be difficult for us, uh, It's difficult for the Corinthians, and it can still be difficult for us even today. I heard a report yesterday on, on the news, uh, again, that it looks like interest rates are likely or assume they might go up again on the 9th of November, another 0.25% in, in the whatever it is, the thingy that affects the interest rates. Um, and uh, and it's, it's some of the statistics that were sort of being thrown around were quite, um, you know, they feed into our psyche of how bad things are at the moment, uh, economically for us as a nation, even though uh, we are by far up there uh, globally in terms of um, lifestyle and uh, and stability and security and so on. But the the reality is, right now, um, we hear that things are really tough, things are difficult, and many of us will be feeling that. In fact, many of us, I have no doubt, um, have felt that for some time already. It's one thing, isn't it, um, to know that our household budgets uh, are going to be under a threat, but it's a whole other thing um, to be... I guess, challenged at a time like that, that if if we did have spare money or if we did have extra money, that we should be giving it to the church. Uh, That's just the reality. Which is why I'd like to suggest this morning, this passage is really and especially important for us, even though we might be living and are living in challenging times financially and economically. And also, you know what I can't help but think in preparing this series... The way the passages landed, so we usually look ahead and we just put in the next passage or part of it into the next date. And it works out that I'll be preaching from chapter 8 and chapter 9 as, um, as the last two sermons in this series that I'll be preaching with you as a church. I can't help but think God, uh, God wanted that, knew that to happen. I, I think it affirms the fact that this is an important issue and it's worth us discussing and hearing from God in, and being reminded Well, speaking about um, finishing up, um, curiously, uh, I've been looking at uh, Paul's life and particularly towards the end of Acts and uh, just looking at him saying goodbye to the Ephesians. You may remember it's recorded in Acts chapters 19 onwards. And in Acts chapter 20... The Apostle Paul uh, has realised his ministry's come to an end in Ephesus. He's been living there in that little city for about two or three years. It's the same um, city from which he's written this letter to the Corinthians, right? So he's in Ephesus writing these letters to the Corinthian churches and and dealing with their issues. And he loves the Ephesians and and they've loved him and and the gospel has taken a hold in that city and it's just ripped through it. In fact, it's actually started to affect the economy of the city of Ephesus. Um, The local idol makers were slowly going out of business because people had stopped buying idols basically they'd come to faith in the one true living god the resurrected jesus and as a result it was affecting the local economy Uh, but at the end of this period uh, obviously the 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 city started to rise up a little bit the churches are growing there's this tension and and there's a a bit of a brouhaha that happens in a um in a in one of the um or the main um uh, arena there in Ephesus. You can still go there to this day. I've been there uh, and a number of us in the church, a small number of us here, uh, went in 2012 and, and had a look and we stood there and right by this actual the amphitheatre there, there's a big sign at the front because the, the remains of Ephesus are a tourist attraction. There's a big sign at the front which is the entire Acts chapters 19 and 20 written out because it's a historical site and this story of what took place in that actual amphitheatre there, And it's massive, is recorded there and you can read about it and right at the end of chapter uh, uh, 20 of Acts the last thing Paul passes on to this church right the big brouhaha happens he's going to get beaten up because of the economy the way it's been affected and there's a big public meeting and he wants to go in and just continue preaching this powerful gospel and the elders actually stop him they pull him out and they say no you're not going to go in there you'll be torn apart it's the last thing you do and so they encourage him and they move him on and he's saying goodbye to the believers in chapter 20 and he's pouring out his heart to them, and the last thing he says to them before they close to pray and to say goodbye is he says these words that Jesus spoke. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Isn't that interesting? I thought that was really interesting. The last words Paul left with the Ephesian church, the Ephesus, the believers there, was the words of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Well... um, that's something we all know and many of us have perhaps said that and, and, and we would give lip service to it and many of us here actually practice that and you will know exactly how true that is. You will know, you'll be able to testify in your life that it is actually a, a, a much greater blessing to be able to give generously without expectation of getting something back, to be able to give generously and, there, and when you do receive from someone, it, you actually go, "Oh, thanks, that's great but it's actually a better feeling, you feel more blessed when you're actually giving. You know that that's true. There'll be others here that don't yet know that that's true. We know the saying, we know Jesus says it, we know it's, a, it's a, at the heart of Christianity, but perhaps we haven't lived it yet. We haven't actually experienced what it means to be blessed more by giving than in receiving. Well, these words are true because they're the words of Jesus. It is absolutely, without doubt, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's certainly the case when we're prepared and willing uh, to take the Lord at his word and and, and to take that word and to put it into uh, practice, let it sit into our hearts and then live them out. Well, as I come to the end of my time here and and reflect over the the past nearly 12 years of ministry, I can barely count on one hand how many times we've spoken about giving and generosity. It would be less than that. And, and, uh, you know, in in one sense, I think, gee, maybe I should have spoken more on it. But then I I thought... um, Actually, it's probably a good thing that we haven't had to. It says a lot about us as a church. You um, see, when Christ is at our heart, when, when His kingdom is a priority in our lives, when His word is taught faithfully, when the Holy Spirit, as He promises to do, lives in each one of us and moves and does a work in us, and when we listen and when we respond, well, there oughtn't be any need to have to put pressure on people to give. you you shouldn't have to. If you're getting up all the time as a pastor and talking about giving, 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 maybe there's something not quite right. Well, like I said, it is quite, I think, interesting that the last two Sundays in this series, at least from my input, we're looking at these two chapters, chapters 8 and 9. We'll be doing that this morning and then chapter 9 next Sunday. And it's the clearest teaching. In fact, it's the clearest teaching anywhere in the Bible, but particularly in the New Testament, On this issue of giving as christian people in these two chapters is really all we need to know and most people usually prefer rules or guidelines it's actually easier maybe you were raised in a church you've heard it perhaps preached in this church most churches all churches do we talk about the rule of tithing which is an old testament law an old testament rule that was a very clear command to god's people they had to give 10 percent of their resources their earnings and they'd bring it to the temple as an offering to god What's interesting about that? Um, it's, it's completely different to today because today our resources are just—it's a monetary figure, right? So ten percent is ten percent. But tithing was actually—it was kind of crop-based. You know, it was about crops or produce. And so the call was to bring your top ten percent, your best ten percent, to God as an offering. So so you wouldn't go out to the paddock and pick the sheep that are ill or sick, or you know the the goats that are can't walk properly, or. Got a broken leg and say, "I'll just go." It's going to get sacrificed anyway, so I'll just take that down. You didn't do that. You actually you took the temp, the best ten percent of your crop, and you gave it to the Lord. That was the Old Testament guideline. That was the Old Testament command. The Old Testament rule about giving, and they're, they're, that's a great principle to have. And some people might insist on this rule uh, of offering, but you know the reality is, as a Christian person, in, in all good conscience. You cannot actually teach that as a rule of 10% because Jesus never mentioned it and it doesn't seem from any of the letters in the New Testament we saw that being raised again as specifically that Old Testament tithe. In fact, the, the, the rule was removed and what's replaced with it? A heart call. It's, it's a calling now to be generous and to be generous in response to who God is and what he has shown in his generosity towards us sure it can be exemplary and if you're someone who's been committed to tithing and you've seen that that's a beautiful thing and i'm not knocking that at all that's it's in god's word and that's that's fine that's that's probably a powerful thing and something that between you and god it's a great thing Uh, i'm just saying that uh, the new testament as new testament believers as followers of jesus we're actually called to something uh, far greater than just a a a rule just a, a monetary rule we're actually called to a heart attitude well, it's vital in regards, uh, what's really important in regards to giving can be found in these two chapters. And it's really all the word that we, that we need. It's this one word that keeps repeating itself. I don't know if you heard it there. It's the word grace. It's the word grace. Not rule, not a law, but grace. God's generous grace in Jesus Christ. That's who and that's what determines how generous we're going to be as faithful followers of Jesus. Uh, I really think that's an important word that we need to hear uh, as a church going into this period of transition, seeking God's leading uh, for new pastoral leadership. There's much to think about, there's much to bring before the Lord in prayer as a church and that includes and is especially the case with our giving and our generosity. It'll be important in that process. Well I don't know if you picked up in our reading uh, that passage in chapter 8, But the Apostle Paul knows full well that he's dealing with a really prickly, sensitive topic when he talks about giving. Uh, A year before he wrote this letter, uh, the church in Corinth uh, had begun to put some money aside. They were taking up a collection uh, to help out the Christian churches in Jerusalem. They were going through a hard time, a bit of a famine, and so the hat went around. It's most likely that the Corinthian Christians uh, had become a little bit slack in that. They'd begun the... um, the, the collection a year ago, and they they hadn't quite finished it off. Well, no one had seen the money in Jerusalem, presumably, and Paul knows this. And what they had set out to do with their finances, they hadn't yet followed through on. And we get this from what Paul says there in verses 8 to 10. He says, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So they're the first church off off the, off, off the rank, right? Because this is a super church, remember? The Corinthians think they're super. They're super spiritual. They've got these super leaders. They're the cream of the crop. And they're in this, uh, full fully immersed in this resurrection power. They've got it all wrong, by the way, which is why Paul's writing to them. But but this is how they think of themselves. So it would make sense. Yes, we're, we're rich. We've got everything. We're, we're literally rich. We'll, we'll do the collection and we're going to give. And, and we want to do it and we're going to be the first ones to do it. And then, of course, it falls flat and all goes quiet. Because Paul says in verse 11, Well, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Did you pick that up? How Paul is, he's cracking the whip again in the letter. Finish the work so that your eagerness, your willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. I've got to say, talking about money is never easy. It wasn't then and it still isn't now. And for whatever reason, our personal finances, our resources, our earnings are a deeply private matter. And, and no one likes being asked for money, and, and, and nor do people like asking for it. You know, it's, it's a difficult thing. And yet Paul goes there with his church. I wonder why he would do that. Well, there's a reason why. Because our attitude towards money, our giving, as Christian people, is a direct indicator of a much deeper issue of the heart it doesn't really matter what century you live in it's always been the same what we do with our money what we do with our resources as christian people reflects our heart towards god's kingdom it reveals our priorities and his priorities remember that the corinthians had 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 a fallout with paul um he was no longer their founding father in their minds remember there was a bit of um angst going on there over a number of issues they didn't have anywhere near uh, the same degree of fondness towards him as they once had. As an apostle, they certainly didn't respect his authority. They'd found new leaders. Um, in fact, their falling out with Paul was probably the very reason uh, that the collection of money for the Jerusalem church got put on the back burner, because they, they realised, oh, this is all Paul's idea anyway. Um, and so they've just decided to put it aside and, and, and to no longer pass the hat around. And so in part, when Paul writes 2 Corinthians to get this church, he does it in part to get this church back on track. And the challenge he gives them in this chapter is part of getting them back on track. In fact, Paul says something really extreme a few times in this passage. I wonder if you picked it up as we went through it. Uh, I've put each one up uh, individually. We'll read the first one, uh, verse 8 of chapter 8. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others he's not gonna I mean, he could just write a command but he knows that's not, not what we do it's about our heart issue i'm not commanding you but i want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others he can, he says later on in the chapter not in our reading but certainly in the chapter verse 24 he says therefore show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you these are the men who are being sent to, to pick up the collection from the Corinthians. Therefore, when these men turn up, uh, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it also. And then uh, the little bit of the first bit of chapter 9, which we'll, um, we, we won't look at again, we'll, we'll skip over that next week, but verse 3 of chapter 9. He says, But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow but that you may be ready as I said you would be. You know, I can't help uh, but think here, just as an aside, you know Paul's been accused of being a bit of a manipulator and he's kind of not reliable and he's this, that and the other. You can kind of pick up, Paul, Paul's got a bit of a sting in all of this, hasn't he? These are, this is a pretty extreme, pretty direct way of trying to prompt the Corinthians to be faithful and to follow through on what they had committed to. I want to be able to boast about you just like you boast about yourselves, you could hear him saying under his breath. I'd love to do that. I've been telling people you are a great church and that you're super spiritual because you say you are, right? And, and you're the first to want to give. So we haven't seen the money. So, so, you know, make me proud in being able to boast about you by following through, is what he's saying. What Paul is doing here is making it very clear that their renewed efforts towards giving will be evidence of their earnestness it'll be evidence of their actual spirituality. You know, they can, they can float around in the clouds as much as they like. If it's not manifesting itself in real time and space, in personal relationships, in, in, in the way we, we live our lives, in the way uh, we give our money as Christian people, then it's, it's, it's a fairy floss, you know. It's, it's just all hype and hysteria. And Paul's saying, this is an opportunity to prove. And when he says, he says um, that he wants uh, to test the sincerity of their love, or to test the earnestness of their love, in verse 8, he uses the same word that's used in Greek for the legitimacy of a child, of someone's child. He knows why he's using this word. So what Paul's saying is that he wants uh, to prove the legitimacy of the Corinthians' love. He's saying, you say you've got love, well well, where's the legitimacy of it? You can claim that your love's legitimate, but the way to prove the legitimacy Legitimacy of that love is by how generous you are in giving. Uh, I've been uh, in pastoral ministry for just under twenty years um, at this church and two others in a formal capacity, and I've I've heard it said uh, that to me over that time uh, by a small number of pastors, other colleagues that I know, and and the occasional treasurer, certainly not our treasurer here, that when it comes to people's responses towards giving, I've heard it said that they'll notice that often the first sign that someone has decided when they've come to the church to hook in and belong to this this particular church uh, is that they'll start giving, they'll start contributing financially to the church. They give towards the ministry and the mission of the church. But, But you know it goes the other way too, so I'm told. The first sign that someone is pulling back or pulling out or has dropped off from their participation, their belonging in the church is often when their giving stops. You see, our giving matches our hearts. Now, I don't personally know that. Just so you know, I've, I've never, um, ever shown any interest or desire to know uh, what people give. And most treasurers are exactly the same. David, uh, our treasurer is, is is very similar. We wouldn't have it, we we don't know. We don't talk about it. It's not about that. We, we're not interested in who gives what. That is between yourselves, ourselves and the Lord. and And we respect that. So I'm not, please don't hear me say that I'm, Blowing the lid on going through lists or anything. Um, some churches do that. Um, you know, some churches membership you actually get your own envelopes with your family name on it, and someone's keeping a ledger of how often. Sorry. Can you still hear me? Is that okay? <laughs> um, so, so there'll be someone in these churches that keep a ledger, and they actually they actually make sure that you are giving. We don't do that because we genuinely want it to be something that comes from the heart. Well, right about now, this is getting a bit personal, isn't it? Maybe making some of you feel a little uncomfortable. I know I feel uncomfortable. Well, Paul knows that's exactly how the readers at Corinth, the Christians at Corinth, are also feeling at this point as well. So let's get to how we get there. How do we move from being cash-strapped and financially stressed... It's proving the genuineness of our heart. I don't doubt for a minute that anyone as a Christian uh, has a genuine desire to be a generous person. I don't, get, I don't doubt for a minute that any of us, as we gather around the Lord's table and we're reminded of God's generosity to us in Christ, that he gave everything. He became poor so that we would become rich. I don't doubt that for a minute that that's not our heart's desire, that we share that as God's people. But how do we get there? How do we prove the genuineness of that? in the way we give to God's work. Well, there's just two quick lessons, and the first one's this. Choose your examples carefully. Choose those that you look up to in the area of giving carefully. I don't know if you've ever run a race. Um, one of the most important decisions you will make, and uh, I've recently learned this, it's not a race, but you know, there's a bunch of us, in park runs, right? If you want to... Thanks, Sandra. I just brought it in because you're here. Um, Sandra is actually a pacer. She doesn't know it, uh, but she gets paced. And uh, one of those people that does the pacing is myself. I'll see Sandra, and right from the start, she's up the front, and uh, and I'll sort of gauge how I'm going by how Sandra's going. And pretty quickly, I lose sight of Sandra, or I see her coming the other direction. I go, okay, well, you know, keep going. Uh, Some of us have a watch, and we'll set that as as a pacer, a marker, right? And once, you, once you've got the pace and you've got someone that's really good, a good example, right, you can actually set your own pace from that and you'll know that you'll do well as well. And no matter how it feels, if you can just keep that person as the example that you're following, you'll, you'll end up matching. Even if they cross the line first, you'll, you'll have that same consistent time gap. <laughs> when it comes to money, who's your pacer? Who is it that you look up to? Who's your example that you're going to follow and use to help set your goal? Well, for most of us, the natural answer, of course, uh, would be those around us. It'd be those in our own Christian community. Because we continually do compare ourselves to others, don't we? And whether it's our Christian community or perhaps it's our broader community. Maybe you take your example for how generous you're going to be, unwittingly, from those outside the church, from other people who have a different heart's desire, from people who don't share the same... Uh, godly desire to please God that you and I might do. We're continually comparing how we might live in light of others. Well, Paul in this passage gives us a better model, doesn't he? A better example, other than people. He calls the Corinthians to imitate the other churches. He actually says to them, have a look at the Macedonian churches, the churches in Philippi, Thessalonica and Berea. He says this later on in the chapter. And funnily enough, these were not rich churches at all. In fact, they were quite the opposite to the church in Corinth. Paul even speaks of their extreme poverty in verse 3. Despite their poverty, look at how it was these churches were well known, the way they gave. Not what they gave, but their generous hearts in giving. He says in verse 2 that they gave with an abundance of joy. Also in verse 2, with a wealth of generosity. He's not talking about the number, he's not talking about the percentage, he's talking about their hearts. Verse 3, they gave according to their means and beyond their means. Verse 4, they were begging for the favour of giving. What does that mean? It means they so knew this is a blessing that they just went, oh Lord, give me an opportunity to give. You know, it's that kind of, that eagerness, like, you know, I've heard it said in some circles and it gets used poorly, but it does make sense you can't outgive God. So go on, try. <laughs> you can at least try. Verse 5 They didn't just give money, but they gave themselves first. So it's not just their money, it's, it's all of who they are their entire resources, their time, their energy, their commitment. The Macedonians, they were poor, and yet they were excellent examples of givers. And the Corinthians, who were rich, with all the talk, all the bravado, all the wonderful sayings and, 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 and sense of grandiose, they were terrible givers. A year late, not following through on what they'd said. And so Paul wants the Corinthians to get a new pace setter. He wants them to learn from getting a better example. Now, if you think other churches are a powerful example, Paul ups the ante, and of course he brings in the ultimate example, right? And that, of course, is our Lord Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Do you know who's better at giving than the Macedonians? Obviously, God himself in the person of Christ. The Macedonians, they could only give money or their time or their energy, and they did it faithfully, but that's all it was. It was just their money. Jesus gave his entire life, his very being. You know, if you were to compare our giving to what God has given us, who gives more, right? That's why we're in awe. That's why we come and worship. That's why we sit around that reminder table this morning and, and are just humbled as we know full well that we can't outgive God, that God uh, has given us way more. Obviously, what Jesus gave ought to motivate us in our giving towards His ongoing work through His body, the church. It's because of God's immeasurable generosity towards us that we are called to respond with generosity towards others so who's your model for giving who's your model for giving i certainly hope you don't just think it's your pastors and other leaders in the church or those that you know are wealthy in the church as if the concept of giving to the church was invented by mere mortals either it's not just us at the front saying that we need to be generous and we need to be giving it's about understanding who we are as a church we're not actually a local club we're not a charity organization we are the very body of jesus and it's an act of worship when we give to the local church that we choose to belong and participate in well, that's the first and best example we can have forgiving and there are others also within our churches maybe you should find someone that you know is a faithful giver get alongside them and say hey listen i, I can i be bold enough to presume that you are actually a good giver you might you don't have to know what they give but you just know you know someone with a generous heart say to them how did you get a generous heart what what are the things you do that doesn't just happen God doesn't just put those things in in you. it's a partnership God puts it in our hearts and then we act so so get alongside someone that you see is a generous person and say hey look I really I sort of struggle in this area I I know what I should be doing I I feel but I, I struggle to actually can you can you help me what is it what are the practices that you put in place how is it that you give what is it that you do as Paul says in verse 7 see that you also excel in this grace of giving so who's your model the second thing this morning is this trust in kingdom economics now I'm no economist but you can see there's a principle here there's a principle here in this better to give than to receive Trust in this kingdom economics. Paul teaches a little bit about it in chapter 8. It doesn't make a great deal of sense to us, but it makes perfect sense when God is involved. So what I'm going to say to you, this this is God's way, God's economy that he's calling us to. Giving generously actually benefits you. Verse 10. How in the world... Uh, does giving away what you, you could use for yourself or giving away what you perhaps don't even have, how can that benefit you? Isn't that one of our first points of struggle when it comes to giving? We go, oh yeah, I could always, yeah, sure, I could always give more, but, but hang on, I don't have it to give and, and obviously if I give more, something that I've got is going to, miss, I'm going to miss out. The kingdom of God, the economics of God, says differently. You need to give more than others need to receive again it's more blessed to give than to receive when you give nobody benefits from that giving more than you we've got to take that by faith verse 12 even giving a small amount is important if the heart is there it's not about the dollar the dollar value paul mentions two things that make a good gift in verse 12 he says he refers to the readiness to give and the proportionality in other words, the proportion of what they were giving. The amount, not the actual amount, the um, the cost to them, if you know what I mean. The proportionality of what they're giving. If you give willingly and in proportion to what you have, then your gift matters no matter how big or how small it is. The third thing is this. Hoarding leads to scarcity, but generosity leads to abundance. It's in verses 14 and 15. If you refuse to give... You're going to be just like the ancient Israelites were. Paul references back to that time in Exodus. It's in chapter 16 of Exodus, where God provided, again, generously, overwhelmingly, with manna. They're starving, and food came from the heavens, and every morning the Israelites would go out and gather it up, and they had more than enough. In fact, it started going off. They couldn't store it. That's how, much, that's how generous God was in their time of need. And Paul reminds them that you're only going to be like the ancient Israelites In Exodus, God provided them with this daily bread. But this is um, this is what it said in verse 18 of chapter 16 in Exodus: "Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack." You know what the Israelites were doing, don't you? They're doing exactly what we'd all do. If something free, if money started falling from from the heavens and there'd be dollar notes everywhere, they'd be itching to do a social experiment to see how we would respond. Who'd be scraping up as much as they possibly could, right? and and putting into wheelbarrows and running at home and who would be just taking what they needed. And and, and the illustration is simply this. When when, when looking at the Israelites doing this, whoever gathered much had nothing left to give. They're the wealthiest, but they couldn't give. (laughs) Those who'd gathered little lacked nothing. They're completely satisfied and fulfilled. So if you want to live a life of scarcity, if you're a hoarder, keep all your money to yourself. If you want to live that sort of life then you, of course you'll have nothing to give. Um, it's one of the illnesses about hoarding. When you, when you see someone that hoards, they, they collect things and it becomes their trap, becomes their prison. And they've got stacks and they can't give away anything and they're, and they're always poor. That's, that's how hoarding works. But if you give it, if you lead a life of abundance, then you'll become a generous person. I'm sure many of you can think of that uh, of someone you know in your life who seems to be like that, they just can't seem to get rid of enough money, and they're, they're never without, and yet they, it flows through them, their generosity, not just money, but, but things and time and energy and resources. Well, that's how God works, that's his kingdom economy. Church, we're going to look at this again in, in, a, in a slightly different way next Sunday from chapter 9, and it's not because the church needs money, okay, it's because we need to give to the church that we belong to and serve in. So this isn't a call saying, we need money because, you know, we don't have any money or we're broke or, you know, we're behind budget, which we are. This, this, is, this is more saying to you as a church that we need to give more than the church needs to receive from you. Do you get what I'm saying? If that's confusing, let me, let me continue. For, for, a, for a little while now, it's probably been the other way around at Tari Baptist, particularly with COVID and so on. Um, and just for those, just a little bit of pragmatics here, we have our budget and then we have costs. Okay, so our budget, and you'll see an update in our Church Life email, our budget, we're actually consistently behind in meeting our budget. And some of you have rightly asked, hang on, how are we still functioning then? If we're consistently that far behind in our budget, how are we still... Well, there's a difference between a budget and costs. We're still meeting costs, just... Sorry, Dave, you have to block your ears. David's going to be going, really, Chris? Um... I could get David to come up here, but, you know, he's probably not going to be the most inspiring person in this. So, so, so yeah, so we've got, we've got an arrangement that I'll, I'll do the teaching and that, but it's all right, David, I'm not going to say anything or commit us to anything that is going to cause you any more stress as our... But we have our costs, and, and, and so even though we might be under... But our budget is an aspirational statement of faith. That's what a budget is. It's the same in most e- economics. You have a budget, is this is what we'd like to do and this is what we need if we're going to be able to do it. So, for our church, supporting two pastors to equip and lead the church in their respective roles, supporting four cross-cultural workers and their families, that's about 5% of our budget. Um, the budget is different to our costs, though. It's why we can be behind, but we can still support these bigger items um, and, and, the, and the, the bills and so on in running the building. But you and I, as participants in this church, we need to give to the church more than what it needs. That's what the budget is. And if we were giving to the church more than what it needs, we'd be meeting budget. Do you get that? Not just meeting our costs. The costs are less than the budget, and that's what the church needs to pay the bills. But the budget is what we aspire to achieve. It's a God-sized goal. That's what a budget should be. And over the last couple of years, as a diaconate, and it is a very challenging role for a treasurer. Um, we had to look at the budget, and we're actually finding we're not setting gold size, a God-sized goal in our budget. We're actually pulling the budget down so it's getting closer and closer to the costs. And if we continue doing that, that's how you shrink. So we need to continue stepping out in faith as a church and, and, and setting that goal and inspiring one another to see what God can do, to prove his generosity in our lives beyond any of our measures. And I can assure you, it can be done. It gets done all the time. It's the principle of what God does through his people. To the point where we all look around and you just think, how did that happen? All glory to God, right? We're not singling out individuals who have been able to give more or generous gifts come in. We can actually say, we don't know how that's happened. It must have been somehow God working in and through us in this great way. I just want to set that vision for you as, as I leave, okay? Because it is a critical time. How do we demonstrate our love for God and our love for others in this area of our lives? By putting your money where your heart is. One way to do this is by being generous beyond our ability. And those who discover this secret find an immeasurable joy and a freedom. That, and you'll see it, you'll see it in their lives. So let me leave this with you today. We serve an amazingly Generous God, and you have been uh, an amazingly generous church. You know, this year our May Mission Month appeal was our highest amount that we've raised in the midst of all of that. That's giving over and above of our budget. Our May Mission Month appeal, we raised twenty dollars over fifteen grand. And usually it's between nine and nine to twelve. So God can still do amazing things through little in us, and, I, and I, please Him is encouraging you and us um, as a church. But we do serve. An amazingly generous God. And as we go forward in this time of transition, one of the challenges will be, and I've heard it said already, hey, I guess we get a breather in the budget. I guess we get a breather in the budget only having one pastor. That's not good stuff to say. That's not a good... I know it means well, but it's not a good thing to say. We certainly get a breather in our costs, but we don't ever need to have a breather in our budget. Our budget is what we strive for our budget is what we set under god to be able to achieve and this church needs two pastors most churches outside size have at least two pastors if you're to compare and look at other other things oh, let me encourage you with that um, i know i'm encouraging evan big time with that too uh, he's going to just keep it as one um, you definitely need two pastors we do serve an amazingly generous god And uh, that's what we remember, didn't we, around the Lord's table. A reminder of his generosity. And we're never more like God in character than when we're being generous. Or in all of life. It's a sign that we're actually beginning to get the enormity of his generosity in our lives. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that in our own lives we can testify to the fact that your generosity in Christ has transformed everything about us. It changes everything. It changes the way we see the world. It changes the way we see other people. So, Father, we we confess that again this morning. And with great hearts of of thankfulness, we we thank you for your generosity to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you made him who knew no sin to have sin so that we might be your righteousness. Father, we thank you that uh, his uh, poverty enabled us to become rich. Jesus becoming one of us and dying giving up his life and rising again and promising us new life the forgiveness of sins has made us immeasurably rich. I pray this morning uh, for us as a church family we know this isn't an easy topic. Uh, Father I ask the uh, Holy Spirit that you'd speak to each one as we as we need to. Please encourage those who are already giving above and beyond. Father uh, strengthen those who are despairing at this time who are uh, for whatever reason uh, are uh, facing um, not just one-off financial difficulties, but have been consistently facing financial difficulties. We pray, Father, that you would uh, encourage them, that you would strengthen them, that you'd give them ways and means to be able to see how, even in the midst of that, uh, there's room still for generosity, and we ask that you would uh, 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 bless them abundantly. Father, for those that do have resources, we ask that you'd uh, continue uh, to encourage and inspire us um, to, to use them in ways that, that um, reveal our heart and our heart's desire to serve you, to prioritise you in our life. I thank you for the faithful giving over many, many decades and many generations even in this church. We thank you that as we look over, past over the history of this church, we see your faithfulness time and time again. And so even in this season of uncertainty and change and transition, we can trust you that you will do immeasurably more than we could hope or ask for. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus for us, your local church here, and for all churches in our region as together we seek to live out your kingdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.